Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I'd like to transition now to share with you from the word, the scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1 will be our jump off verse. We'll connect with this and then a little bit later in what I, the remarks I'll share with you, we'll connect back to this. But 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, I read this several weeks ago. I want to emphasize a different part of it. 1 Kepha, Kepha Aleph chapter 1 beginning with verse 10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Verse 11 of First Kepha, Kepha Olive, chapter 1. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Messiah who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Messiah and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the good news, the gospel, the Besarah to you by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, sent from Hashemaim, the heavens. Things which angels desire to look into. Will you say that with me? Things which angels desire to look into. Let's say that one more time. Things which angels desire to look into. Now, let's leave this passage for a moment. We'll come back to it, as I mentioned. But when we delve into the history of Israel and what we know of the history of Israel, Many have recognized that delving into the history of Israel can be an, an important step to gaining understanding of why things are the way they are. In other words, over the centuries, really millennia, individuals have attempted to write the history of Israel in response to trying to understand the circumstances that they were in at the time. For Israel's history, to write Israel's history, as you can imagine, we have our Bibles, and that's a little section of Israel's history, but do you realize how many volumes it would take to write the complete history of Israel and the Jewish people? It would take many, many volumes. But yet, various authors have attempted to write the history of Israel. I haven't personally, have any of you attempted to write the whole history of Israel? Probably not. <laughs> But there was a first-century Jewish writer. Really, he was a historian. We know him as Josephus, Flavius Josephus. He wrote quite a few writings, quite a few books, as we would call them now. And one of them was Jewish Antiquities, in which he tried to capture, and, and in his way in the first century, remember, they didn't have computers then, word processing, or anything like that. Recording instruments. The only thing they had was a quill and ink. 
And in Jewish antiquities, he tries to capture the history of Israel up through the first century. And when you examine what he wrote, you realize that there are so many gaps and holes because the history was so immense. And even modern Jewish authors and writers 2,000 years later in our season, in our time, in our generations, they've also attempted to present Jewish history in a written form, in what we would call a book, Jewish history, to modern audience, because the understanding was that we could express some of Israel's history. Maybe we can understand a little better why the world, why the world is the way it is. After all, we sang this wonderful song this morning, Lech Lecha, but in Genesis chapter 12, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, in your seed later, it's clarified, the seed being the Messiah, in your seed, Yeshua, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And immediately there's a connection to Abraham and Yeshua. A modern writer, his name is Dr. Solomon Grazel, he wrote an 835-page volume, and he called it A History of the Jews. It was only 835 pages. I have this book. <laughs> Please don't ask me if I've read this book, but I do have this book at home. And unfortunately, as I've looked at various um, histories of Israel or the Jewish people, and with Dr. Grazel's scholarly uh, yet uh, usable history that he wrote of, of Israel, a history of the Jews, of the Jewish people, he shows a serious lack of understanding or serious lack of knowledge about the greatest Jew of all, Yeshua the Messiah. It's sad because I was reading that book again. I do have this book at home. Looking at this book and I turned to what he said about Yeshua and he just wasn't informed. Whether it was by his own choice or whether it was by a, you know, a glitch in his upbringing, which may be the case, or whether it was a, a desire not to express some of the things concerning Yeshua, that is the case in my opinion. If you have, to if you have that book, you can check it out. Several, several modern Christian authors have also tacked tackled what would be a daunting task, again, of writing a history of Israel. There are two classic works, and again, both of these I have at home in my library. <laughs> the first one I'll mention is Dr. Paul Johnson's work. He simply titles it, History of the Jews. This is a relatively brief book. Grazel's book, Dr. Grazel's book was 835 pages. Well, Paul, Paul Johnson's book is whittled down to just 644 pages. And Dr. Johnson decided to look at the history of Israel, and rather than try to do it with chronology, in other words, year after year, etc., he breaks it down into seven topics, seven or so topics. And he addresses particular topics and, and looks at Israel's history through the eyes of those topics. It's a pretty interesting concept. And it's become somewhat of a classic, his book, History of the Jews. And as I mentioned, I have this book at home, and I will... You can ask me if I've read this book, if you'd like. Because I have read this book because it was required reading for a yeshiva course I did a number of years ago. It was required. So yes, ask me if I read Dr. Johnson's book, and I can say, Ken, I have. Yes, I have. But don't ask me about the next one. 
There's another classic text. In fact, it's even more classic, in my opinion. And it's also called, you can guess it, it's called the History of Israel. Same topic, same situation. And Dr. John Bright wrote this. He's an American. Uh, Dr. Johnson, Paul Johnson was English. And Dr. John Bright is an American. And he whittled it down a little farther. Grazel's uh, book was 835 pages. Johnson's book was 644 pages. And Dr. Bright's book is 519 pages. And again, don't ask me if I've read this book, please. <laughs> but Dr. Bright attempts to follow biblical chronology. And he looks at Scripture through chronology. Some of you are familiar with the chronological Bible. How many of you have heard of the chronological Bible? Some of you actually use that, I know, because you told me. And because Dr. Bright uses biblical chronology and connects everything to biblical dating there, his book has become widely used in seminaries around the country. And it's used for those who would be potentially clergy or stand in the pulpits, begin to deliver messages. It's a, it's a, a, a medium-line book that is a little shorter. I wonder, why didn't they have me read Dr. Bright's book with 590 pages in that yeshiva course instead of Dr. Johnson's book with 644 pages? But that's just an aside. Now, these valiant attempts to make Israel's history accessible to readers, I believe, is very praiseworthy. But it, it's, a, it's a big mountain to get across. It's a big mountain to get over, to express all of the Jewish people's history or Israel's history in a volume. It's, you know, it's almost an impossible task. Yet as we assess human history, in my opinion, there is really only one event that will be shown to be the signature event in Israel's history, in the history of humanity, and, dare I say it, in your own personal history. There's only one signature event that pops up out of all of them, and that event was the coming of Yeshua exactly at the time that was prophesied. Just think how history would have changed if he didn't come at the right time. Just think how history would have changed if Yeshua hadn't come at all. But that event, the coming, the advent, as it's called, of Yeshua the Messiah, to this earth, God became man and dwelt among us. And he who took, his, took our sins upon himself, if that event wouldn't have happened, where would we be today? We would be totally dead in our sin, and totally without help. One of the names that was prophesied about the Messiah to come before Yeshua came was that he would be the hope of Israel, and he is our hope today. First Peter chapter 1, I had to repeat this statement. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that there are things that the angels long, they desired, one text says, to look into. And what did they desire to look into? Yeshua and the gospel. They desired that. Now, all of human history, when we think about it, takes a back seat. All of Israel's history, all of human history takes a back seat to the internal implications or ramifications of Yeshua's first advent and the event that's closely linked to his first advent, his first coming, is his second coming. How many of you anticipated Yeshua's return? I am. 
And then one hand, I shudder about that because there's so many of us that need to get our lives right with the Lord. There's so many who are lost. There's so many right now being ushered into their eternal destiny by wars in Ukraine and wars in Somalia and wars in Africa and Asia. But the angels, they may not have been too impressed by the accomplishments of mankind, such as the Tower of Babel. It doesn't say the angels desired and longed to look into those things. They may not have been too impressed by those type of things. They may not have been too impressed by the beautiful temple in the first century, commonly called Herod's Temple, where it is said rabbinically that if you haven't seen Herod's Temple, you have never seen beauty if you have not seen Herod's temple. That's how ornate, shining, and glimmering it was in the skies of Jerusalem. The angels weren't that impressed with all that. They weren't impressed with the pharaohs of Egypt. They weren't impressed with the Caesars of Rome. They aren't impressed with the Putin or any other leader that's ever lived. But they longed, they desired, they peered into, they wanted to know about Yeshua and the gospel. They wanted to know about him as 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us and if we are wise let me make a suggestion to you if you are wise you will continue to dig into the depths of the good news of Messiah Yeshua and continue to dig into that message that gospel message that good news message that is meant for all mankind and that includes you and me today that message resonates beyond all other messages that message and the very central part of that message or central portion of that message, which is Yeshua himself, is what angels long to peer into. Now, I've never been one for bumper stickers on cars. I've seen some real doozies. How many of you have seen some doozies? <laughs> you have bumper stickers. And some of them, are the, the print's so small, you have to almost get into a fender bender to read it, you know. But there has been one bumper sticker that I have liked since I first came to know the Lord when I first saw it. And it's one you've probably seen. It's a common saying, and I even have a t-shirt at home that says it. It's this. It's only five words. Wise men still seek him. How many knew I was going to say that one? But that bumper sticker, wise men still seek him. You know what? That's a good word for us. If you're wise today, you're going to seek the Messiah. If you're wise, you're going to give yourself to learning what the Scripture says. If you're wise in this war-torn life we have right now, this world we live in, you're going to make sure Yeshua is the very rock and center of your life. That's true wisdom. And Messiah has been made wisdom unto us, according to 1 Corinthians in Luke 1, it tells us that the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, he appeared to a Jewish virgin whose real name was Miriam. And I'm very partial to the name Miriam. <laughs> so he appeared to the Jewish virgin Miriam, who was, as Scripture tells us, and was, by the way, this was not refuted in the first century. She was a descendant of King David, and also a descendant of Abraham, who's the very central uh, figure in this week's parasha, Lech Lecha. You go forward. It tells us in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 28, 
Gabriel speaks to Miriam, Mary, the mother of Yeshua, the Virgin Mary, as she's often called, and tells her this, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Wow, what a greeting. <laughs> what a greeting. And consider the one giving the greeting. That's Gabriel, Gabriel, the angel. One of the few angels that are actually named in Scripture. Michael being another one. Michael, another one. And then this same text in Luke chapter 1, as we go forward into Luke chapter 1, verse 32, says this, describing the one who would be born of Miriam, describing him. We know him as Yeshua the Messiah, describing Yeshua before he's born, enunciating to Miriam, says he will be great in verse 32 of Luke 1. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Whoa. <laughs> Now, I know we can sometimes really look at our children with, how would I say this nicely, pretty exalted eyes, loving eyes, loving eyes. But this angel proclaiming, he will reign over the house of Jacob. Did you notice the terms of his reign? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And he doesn't stop there. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And when I read that, of his kingdom, there will be no end. It reminds me of what it says in Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. We said previously, Ki yelled yulad lanu benditan. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Then it continues in chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 7, in the English reckoning. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, and there it is again, even forever. Now, how long is forever? A long time. Forever is, usually when that question is asked, how long is forever, the response that comes back is forever. I mean, how do you, how do you qualify it? So Luke 1, Gabriel, Gabriel states his message to Miriam, the virgin Miriam, and says that he will rule, reign over the house of, Yeshua will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then also that reminded us of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. And again, I mentioned Dr. Solomon Grazel's history, very, uh, very well-written history, but when it came to stuff like this about Yeshua and how key and critical Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah is, he's really lacking. How do you get around these terms from that time forward, even forever? In his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, Scripture tells us so much about Yeshua before he was born, aspects of his kingdom, his, his person, what he would do, what we call his ministry, etc. And I want to share with you just two passages that exemplify this. It tells us about Yeshua in Psalm chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Yet I, set, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. 
I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. you. Does that phrase ring a bell to you? You are my son, my only begotten son. It's the same type of thinking and expression as Psalm 2. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Other passages of Scripture, and I won't belabor this point, you can probably uh, figure them out yourselves, but other passages of Scripture remind us that he shall reign how long? Forever and ever. Thank you, Handel's Messiah, for that. He shall reign forever and ever. One of the most beautiful sounds that comes or, or melodies that comes from Handel's Messiah repeats that over again. He shall reign forever and ever. And Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, offers what I would call incredible insight into the person, the work, and the glory of Messiah Yeshua. And there are no less than 10 aspects, 10 aspects of Yeshua's glory that are stated just in the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. And by the way, there are several more chapters beyond chapter 1. But just the first four verses, there are at least 10 different aspects of Yeshua's glory that are related. And one, let me remind you what it says in Messianic Jews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us. How? He's spoken to us by his Son. And I pray that Yeshua, the Son of God, is speaking to you in your life at this point. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed one heir of all things. Now, how much is all things? <laughs> all things. He's appointed him heir of all things, through whom also, too, he made the worlds. He's the creator. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Nothing was created without the word. Who, verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory, is the very radiance of the glory of God. We see it in Yeshua. If you wonder, well, how could that be? In your spare time, look up Matthew chapter 17, what's called the transfiguration. It's mentioned in three of the four Besorot, the four Gospels. That incident is mentioned in three of the four Gospels, not mentioned in Yohanan and John, but is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration. Where Yeshua shone, his glory was so great, the response, that he, his, he was so, so pure, so clean, so white, however one wants to say it, more than any launderer could ever do with the best soap out there. That was the radiance of the glory, the transfiguration of Yeshua on the Mount of Transfiguration. Being the brightness of his glory, and it says this, the express image of his person. The express image of what God is. If you've seen him, you've seen what the Lord is like. And we know Yeshua to be without sin. We know Yeshua to reign forever and ever. We know Yeshua to be able to speak to our hearts right now. Maybe he's even speaking to you now about your life. But he is the express image of his person. And then this one, 
upholding all things by the word of his power. And it continues, when he had by himself, by himself, he didn't need anything else, by himself, purged our sins. How powerful is Yeshua? He's so powerful, he laid down his life for us. He alone willingly sacrificed his life for you and me. He purged our sins, as the writer of Messianic Jews, chapter 1 says. I'm thankful for that. How many of you are thankful for our loving Messiah whose shed blood avails for our sins? When he had by himself purged our sins, <laughs> he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It is a kingdom over all creation. He's the king of all creation. Can I say it in a different way? He's Melech HaOlam. He's the eternal king. All creation, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess he is the Lord. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels. And he has, by inheritance, obtained a name, a more excellent name than they. And by the way, this is just the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. If you want to learn more about who Yeshua is, keep reading through the book of Hebrews because he, he piles on other Aspects of who Yeshua is, such as he's the Kohen Gadol, the great high priest, such as he is the one who, the mediator of the covenant. He is the one who ever lives to make intercession for us, and it just goes on and on and on. For those who refuse Yeshua the Messiah, where do you turn? To yourself? To religiosity? To the ways of this world? <laughs> Figments of your imagination, Star Wars characters, I don't know. Where do you turn? He's the, he's the answer. He's the one. He's the very center, very center of history, the very center of Israel's history, of human history. It's, it's Messiah Yeshua. Second Peter chapter 1, begin with verse 16. It was only to, there couldn't have been any other person except Yeshua but Yeshua, that could have been part of this transaction. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, which seems to allude also to the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter Kepha wrote to the first century believers, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables. <laughs> when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory, of his grandeur, of his reign, of his authority, of his kingship. We were eyewitnesses of all this. In verse 17, which seems to be an allusion or a reference back to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 and two other gospels, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is what was said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 18 is an emphasis. 
He says, Kepha writes, and we heard this voice. We heard this bat kol, as it's called in Hebrew. We heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Read Matthew 17, you get insight into this passage. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Kepha wrote to first century people, believers. Yes, historians may be, and they are, feverishly, you know, feverishly fumbling forward in their attempts at recording history. But I assure you, they will not be able to describe, <laughs> they will not be able to describe the appearing of Yeshua when he comes in the clouds of glory. They won't be able to describe it. I don't care how fast their pen is, how eloquent their speech is, how well they see, how much they perceive, they will not be able to describe the glory that's going to be revealed when our Messiah returns and he could come at any time. And I know that sounds like a pretty bold statement. <laughs> God is God. He can come whenever he wants to. <laughs> Matthew 24, verse 27 tells us, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, verse 30 further states this. It says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and exceedingly great glory, great glory. That's what they will see. That time is getting closer and closer for us. For some, as our life comes to an end, that time comes quickly. For others, it's a historical time that could come in, in, the, in the future, maybe the near future, maybe a more distant future. But be assured, the time of his coming is drawing near. It's not something to push to the side in our life, but to keep in mind that Yeshua is coming back. And as I've already mentioned, historians would not be able to even describe that scene they couldn't imagine that scene of great glory. It tells us in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 26, it tells us something else that Yeshua did. It was one of his very last deeds, some of his very last statements before he was arrested. It says in Matthew 26, these very familiar words to us today, but yet they are eternally powerful words. Matthew 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, and the situation was Seodata don the Lord's Supper, the Passover feast. And as they were eating, Yeshua took lechem. Can you say lechem? He took matzah, really. But he took bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to the Talmidim and said, take, eat, this is my body. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Like, 
he had, in the Gospel of Mark, it says that he had told them that he was going to go up to Jerusalem and he was going to suffer and he was going to be handed over and all, all that. And he describes what's going to happen to him. And it says they didn't understand it. Have you ever had something, someone speak to you and it goes, Pew! right past you? He was foretelling them what was going to happen to him. But they just couldn't imagine it. I mean, here he is, he, he walked on the waters, he healed the lepers, not the leopards, by the way, the lepers. He healed the lepers, he gave sight to the blind, he preached the good news to everyone, the poor, and we won't even talk about the feeding of the multitudes and all that he did. And they saw that and they couldn't understand, they just couldn't imagine that this great one this all-powerful person, it seemed, would actually go through the sufferings that he foretold of them. The question then becomes, why did he go through those sufferings? And I'm looking at reasons right here today why. You, Amen. you, Amen. you, you. He did it for you. He was without sin. And we are sinful. We need his grace desperately. This nation needs his grace desperately. We need revival desperately. We need revolution in our own hearts and lives desperately. Yes, we understand why they looked at all that Yeshua was doing and said, how could that be that they would take him away? How could it be that he would suffer? I mean, he's, he's, he, he even controls the weather. It says, peace be still, and the storm stops. I know in my own life, that's what he spoke to my heart when I came to him. How many of you can relate to that? When you came to know the Lord, he spoke as it were, peace be still to your very heart, and flooded you with his shalom, with his well-being. But they couldn't understand it. Again, in Matthew 26, some of his last actions and last statements. And as they were reading, Yeshua took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks. He said a bracha, he made a bracha. And he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Drink from it, for this is my blood of the Brit Chadashah, of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Sign me up for that today. <laughs> How many of you are glad for the remission of sins today? He's the only one that could have said this. Yeah, others could have said the words, but not the power connected to it, not the effecting connected to it. What he said was effectual, it was powerful, and it still avails today. For this is my blood of the Berit Chadashah, the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Well, recently, one respondent submitted the question, and this was the question, and I like this question. I think you will too. He submitted the question, what is the new covenant? He submitted to a well-known Bible-based website. It was just a simple question. What is the new covenant? That was the question that was submitted. 
Not a lot of theology, not a lot of big theological words, not a lot of anything, just what is the new covenant? Five words. And I wanted to read you the exact answer the person received to the question from this well-known new covenant uh, Bible site. The question again, what is the new covenant? The response, quote, the new covenant or new testament is the promise that God gave, that God makes with humanity, that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. And again, using the terms that, are, 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 that were the response, Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. And his death on the cross is the basis of the promise. The prophets Moses, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all allude to the new covenant. The old covenant was written in stone, but the new covenant is written on our hearts. Entering the new covenant is made possible only by faith in Christ, who shed his blood to take away the sins of the world. Under the new covenant, we are given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. Through the life-giving Holy Spirit who lives in all believers, we share in the inheritance of Christ, end quote. Friends, today is an important day for you. God has given you this day, and as was explained, I think rightfully so, in this Bible uh, website, He's given each of us another chance today to serve him. Will you serve him today? Will you respond to him? Will you let him be Lord of every area of your life? Will we do that? He's given you this day. This is the day the Lord has made. He's given you this day to serve him, that we might serve him. And as James chapter 4, verse 8 decrees, draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. A lot of times we sense that the Lord is not near to us, and a good part of that's because we're not really drawn near to Him. We expect Him to do all the work, <laughs> to make all the efforts, but He receives, he, there's a reciprocity there. I don't know how to explain it, some kind of spiritual reciprocity where it says, if you draw near to God, guess what? He will draw near to you. It continues, though, and says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And then it says this, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It seems to allude to not only hands alluding to things, actions that we do, but heart motivations. We need to do the right actions under the right motivation to bring glory to God. Because as Scripture says, whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, we do what? We do it all for the glory of God, to lift up his name. So today we're going to commemorate the Lord's Supper. And as we remember Yeshua, we also remember that he humbled himself. And even as James chapter 4, verse 10 says to us, it's one of the commands of the new covenant. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I would point out to you not so much the word humble. That's the obvious word. But did you notice the second word? Humble yourselves. It's a call to the community for all believers to humble themselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So as we partake in just a moment of the Lord's Supper, as we partake of it, 
And I think it, I always consider it a privilege to be able to partake of the Lord's Supper. I know in many places they don't like to do it and all that. They do once a year and all that, and that's all good. I have no problem with that. This is important stuff here. When he said, this bread, this is my body, this fruit of the vine, prehagathen, this fruit of the vine is, you know, a symbol of my blood. To me, the body and blood of Yeshua is very important stuff. So as often as we do it, we do it in remembrance of him. So please, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, please prepare your heart. Take inventory if you would. Take inventory of your life, not your neighbor's life, not your spouse's life, but just take inventory of your own life. You're, you're, you're a vessel on your own standing before God. Take inventory. And where you are lacking... Ask Yeshua to be your sufficiency. Where you are worried and concerned, and many are right now, cast your cares upon him. Where you are fearful, instead of the spirit of fear, look boldly to Yeshua, who is your strength and the rock of your salvation where you need to grow or change, and we all need to grow. Transformation is a part of a believer's life. You know, it's one thing when a person sees you and they look at you physically and say, well, you look just like you looked 25 years ago. That's one thing. <laughs> For some, that means the hair dye worked, you know, that type of thing. But if they said that about spiritually about you, you're at the same place you were 25 years ago when I talked to you. And this sign might be weird. You're still as, uh, you know, whatever, a humble or whatever. But there's transformation. We're being transformed from glory to glory and faith to faith. And we don't know what it's ultimately going to be, but we know this according to First Yochanan, that when he appears, guess what? We're going to somehow be like him when he appears. That's what the Word says. Can I wrap my mind around all that? No but I know that God's word is true and let God's word be true and all men, let them be responsive to the truth. It would be better. <laughs> so where you need to grow or change, ask Yeshua for a new measure of the spirit in your life. How many of you, no show of hands here, please, but how many of you have ever asked for a new measure of the Holy Spirit in your life? Probably some never have, even though we're commanded to do that. To ask, and Yeshua said, ask, and he will give his Holy Spirit to you. Where you have been harsh, unloving, and self-centered, ask him for an attitude adjustment. I know it's pretty easy for us to ask for an attitude adjustment of our neighbor, or a family member, or our spouse, or our friend, but let's put that all aside. Let, let God deal with that. But if you're living harshly, speaking harshly, living in an unloving manner, and you're just becoming self-centered, ask the Lord for an attitude adjustment and the ability to overcome in those areas. Ask him. Plead with him. Cry out to him. You know, he will not turn you away. If you ask for bread, he is not going to give you a stone. And you ask for good things from him, he will be responsive to you. You have not because you ask not. And then sometimes we ask and we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lust, it says. 
And where you have been doing your own things, your own ways. Sounds like Americanism right there. Where you've been doing your own things, your own ways. Ask him to take the reins of your life. To take the seat, the throne of your heart. Ask him to take the reins of your life and to lead you in his will and his ways. By the way, his plan for you is much better than your plan for you. His plan for you is much better than anyone else's plan for you. His plan for you is, comes from the basis of knowing you intimately, completely, everything about you. And by the way, I'm not exaggerating when I say that, because he even has every one of these things here on our head counted. So above all, as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, remember how much Yeshua loves you. That's no trite matter. That's an eternally important matter for us. Remember how he gave himself for you willingly. No one took his life. He he left all the glories of above to come down here to this, what must have seemed like a miserable place when he arrived. And he's coming back again. But he gave himself for you willingly. And as scripture promises, he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. Make it your task to grow in the spirit, to walk uprightly. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405 842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.